All right, thank you for uh, joining us for our online services once again. Uh, thank you, Jason Martin, for leading us in worship. And so now I want to uh, open us in prayer as we get ready to open the Bible together that God would speak to us. Let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you for your word, God, that the Bible is more than just words on a page. It is living. It is active, God. And in it, we find hope. We find healing. We find eternal life. Because, God, in the Bible, we find you. So I pray that today, as we open the word together, that, God, you would reveal yourself to us, that we would see you, we would hear from you, and that, God, our hearts would be ready to respond. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, in our Gospel of John series, we've made it to chapter 5, verse 30. So just briefly, here's what we came out of last week. So last week, we talked about this growing hostility towards Jesus, that the Jews were seeking to kill him um, because he claimed to be the Son of God, equal with God. And we looked at how, rather than backing away from uh, that claim, when the hostility began to stir up, Jesus stepped into that hostility, and he, uh, through three statements, these truly, truly statements, he solidified his identity as the Son of God. And we saw that uh, not only is this who Jesus claimed to be, but what Jesus said is that he who hears these words and believes it, um, th- that it will change the course of eternity for every person, either by believing that he is the Son of God, that we will be re- resurrected to eternal life, or those who reject him as the Son of God will be re- resurrected to eternal judgment. And so today what we're going to see is that as Jesus has made these claims, he's going to lay out for us today that there have been three witnesses that have testified to the, this truth that he is the Son of God. So we're going to start in verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not only my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So once again, Jesus is referring to his identity as deity and he's connecting himself uh, to the father here that um, his will is the same as the father's will so when he judges his judgment is just because he and the father judge the same way and according to the same standards but then in verse 31 he says if I alone bear witness about myself my testimony is not true and so now what he's going to do is he's going to lean into um, these other witnesses that bear testimony, that, that validate the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. So starting in verse 32, he's going to talk about the first witness. Verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So the first witness who, who, who bore testimony that Jesus was the Son of God, we saw this earlier in the gospel, was John the Baptist. He was the one who made the first public declaration that Jesus was um, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He was the Messiah, the Son of 
God. But what Jesus is saying here is that John's testimony wasn't enough. Even though it was like a, a shining lamp in the night and it caused rejoicing, it caused people to, to respond and even some to come follow Jesus, that that light only burned for a little while and the rejoicing only lasted for a short season. He even says, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So the testimony of John was the first witness that Jesus is the Son of God, but that witness was not enough. And Jesus not only says um, that John was the first witness, but here he once again reiterates why it's important that we understand who Jesus is. I say these things, so that you may be saved. And so once again, our salvation, our personal um, salvation from Christ, it, it, it hinges off of this identity that he really is the son of God. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you all this. I laid out three truly, truly statements. And now I'm gonna lay out the three witnesses that bear testimony in my name. But here's my point. Here's why I'm doing this, that you might believe that I am the Son of God and by believing, you might be saved. And now we, in verse 36, we go to the second witness. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So the second witness that Jesus is pointing to that bears testimony that he is the Son of God are the miraculous signs that he's, he's performing. And so these miraculous signs, um, in a way, bear witness that he is not just another rabbi or another religious leader, that he's more than man, he is deity, he is the Son of God. We know from the Gospel of John already that even these witnesses are not enough. If we go back to John chapter 2, as Jesus makes his ministry public in Jerusalem, through his miracles, through these signs that many were beginning to believe. Matter of fact, John 2 says that many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But the problem was Jesus could see their heart. They were believing in him for what he had to offer, what he was doing, not for who he was and who he claimed to be. Even his own brothers, we'll see in John chapter 7, um, his, his, his earthly brothers, they see him as this miracle worker and they're encouraging him to go, go to Jerusalem and show these miracles and signs um, to, to everybody because if everybody sees these signs, they'll believe what we believe. But then John chapter 7 says that these very brothers who were encouraging him to do this still did not fully believe that he was the Messiah the Son of God. And so while the signs were bearing testimony that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of, of God, even this witness was not enough. The miraculous signs, they were in fact a witness to Jesus' identity, but they were insufficient to awaken the human heart to see Jesus as the Son of God. So John came as a witness, clearly proclaimed, this is the Messiah, Jesus' own works and signs were a witness, but none of them were sufficient to awaken the human heart to believe. 
And so now we need a third witness, a witness that not only points to Jesus as the Messiah, but does something within us to open our eyes and to open our hearts to believe. In verse 37, Jesus begins to talk about this third witness. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So now the third witness that Jesus is pointing to is the Father, that the Father has borne witness about him. But there's a problem in this witness from the Father. Did you, did you see what he said? Here's the problem. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. The problem isn't that God hasn't made himself known and made his voice known. The problem rests in verse 38. And you do not have his word abiding in you. So what's missing, what's keeping you from hearing the voice of my Father as he bears witness about me, what's keeping you from seeing my Father's um, witness for me is that you don't have his word abiding in you. This is a really important word, this idea of abiding. What does abiding mean? The word abide means to, literally it means to live or to remain in the same place without moving for a long period of time. So when Jesus talks about God's word abiding in us or us abiding in God's word, what Jesus is describing is this idea that we, we live in God's word. We don't just open it for a few minutes and then close it and walk away, but we live in it, we remain in it, we stay in it for a long period of time. And that when we do that, we hear the voice of God. We see the form of God. And not only that, we encounter this third witness that Jesus truly is the Son of God. Look at verse 39. He continues to talk about this third witness. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so here Jesus explicitly is pointing to the Bible, the scriptures. And he's saying, listen, you search the scriptures. The problem isn't that you don't search the scriptures. The problem is that you're not abiding in the scriptures. You go to the scriptures because you think in them you'll find eternal life. But if you will abide in the scriptures, what Jesus is saying is what you'll find is that they bear witness about me. If you really want eternal life, you have to find me. You can't just go to the Bible to find eternal life. You have to go to the Bible, to the scriptures, and you have to find me. And in finding me, you will then find eternal life. In verse 41, he says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from, another, from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? 
Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Now listen to this. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. For if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so here what... What's interesting is Jesus is referring not specifically to Moses as a person, but he's referring to the writings of Moses, the scriptures we find that Moses wrote. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not coming to accuse you. I don't have to do that. There's already been an accusation made. It's actually the scriptures that accuse you, that, that show you where you're guilty, show you where you're disobeying God, show you where you're intentionally walking in sin. Jesus is saying, I don't have to do that. The scriptures themselves do that. But then at the end, what he says is so important. For if you believed the scriptures, if you believed Moses and what he wrote in the scriptures, then you would what? Believe me. Why? Because he wrote about me. But you don't believe his writings. So then Jesus says, then how in the world are you gonna believe my words? And so this third witness that has come to us from the Father, we have it. It's called the Bible. It's referred to as the scriptures. And so what Jesus is saying is that John the Baptist came to bear witness to me. And for a little while, we got excited. For a little while, you rejoiced, but then it tapered off. Then I began to perform these miraculous signs and crowds began to gather and they began to believe, but not in who I am, solely in what I could do for them. But there is a better witness and it's my father. And my father has borne witness of me in the scriptures. See, the problem is that you search the scriptures instead of abiding in them, sitting in them, remaining in them, living in them. Now, this is consistent with what we saw last Sunday um, at the resurrection where Jesus is walking uh, with the disciples um, on the road to Emmaus, and they don't even recognize him as a resurrected Savior until he does what? And Luke 24, verse 25 says this, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then look at what he does, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning what? Himself. So you got these two disciples. Uh, It's the resurrection day. Uh, They're walking in sadness and agony because the Messiah has been killed. The the resurrected Messiah now comes alongside them, walks with them down the road, and they don't even recognize him. And so how does Jesus choose to reveal himself as a resurrected savior to these two followers? He opens up the scriptures and he shows them the Father's revelation. He shows them the Father's witness that bears testimony to his death and resurrection. And it's not just these two. Jesus does the same thing with the 12. He meets with them in the upper room. And we went over this last Sunday. Verse 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
And so the way that Jesus revealed himself, even to those who intimately knew him, these, these, these disciples who had followed him from the beginning, wasn't that he performed a miraculous sign. It was that he opened the scriptures with them, beginning with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and showed who he was to his disciples. And so literally the testimony of the Father, if you think about it, has been unfolding since creation. With every chapter, every verse of your Old Testament, the Father is building this witness that will bear testimony that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. You know, the same thing is true of us today that was true of the two, true of the twelve. It's true in John chapter five and what Jesus is saying here. If we truly are going to find eternal life, we have to first find Jesus and the only way we're gonna find him is by abiding in his word. I wanna talk now for a minute about the word itself, the Bible, the scriptures. I think this is why Paul, when he's writing to a young pastor, Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he makes such a big deal about the scriptures. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what Paul is saying to this young pastor, Timothy, is listen, continue in what you've learned. Abide in the scriptures. Abide in the sacred writings that were able to do what? Make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying to Timothy is, listen, commit yourself, abide to the scriptures because that's how you found Jesus, through the scriptures. So while John the Baptist wasn't a sufficient witness uh, for Jesus, while even the miracles and the signs that Jesus performed weren't sufficient, the third witness is sufficient. The scriptures. They're sufficient not only to reveal salvation through Christ, but as Paul writes to Timothy, every scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Peter himself, one of the disciples, writes about uh, the significance and the importance of the scriptures and the word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he writes this, verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rise, rises in your hearts. 
knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a powerful uh, testimony from Peter because essentially what he's doing is he's talking about this third witness, the scriptures that bear testimony that Jesus is the Christ. And he starts by reminding uh, his readers that, remember, we didn't bring to you cleverly devised myths to lead you to Christ. And don't forget the fact that um, we ourselves were there on the mountain with him at the transfiguration. We, we saw with our eyes, we heard with our ears when God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son and in him I am well pleased. Now you would think that would be enough, right? For, for Peter and, and those who were there with him to be convinced that this is the son of God. But look at what Peter says in verse 19. Yeah, this happened because we were there on the mountain, but listen, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So he's saying, listen, there's an even better witness than that. Better than having been there and seen it with our own eyes and heard it with our own ears. There's, there's a prophetic word that confirms this more fully. So what is that prophetic word? He says it right here. It's the scriptures. We know, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, right? But it's the will of God. And and not only is is the scripture produced by the will of God, but, but men who were speaking and writing, they did so as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so on, yes, it was powerful to be there at the transfiguration, to see Christ transformed in his glory, to hear God's voice. You didn't have to be there to believe it because there is a better witness that more fully confirms who Christ is. And so this now leaves us then with really one remaining question. What does it mean to abide in the word? What does it look like to abide in God's word and for God's word to abide in us? What does it look like to do more than just search the scriptures looking for salvation? What does it look like to to search the scriptures, to abide in God's word and to find Jesus? I wanna turn now to Psalm 119 looking at a few verses here that describe what it looks like to abide in God's word, to do more than just read it, to do more than just study it, to do more than just search the Bible. What does it look like to abide? I wanna start in verse nine of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is a beautiful, powerful description of what it looks like to abide in the word of God. Beginning in verse nine, how do we abide in God's word? By guarding it. 
by, by hiding it in our hearts and, and by guarding it. This is this idea of doing more than, than reading it, doing more than just memorizing it, but it's the idea of like marinating in it, like sitting in it and, and holding on to it. We, we guard it, we hide it. Uh, not only that, we declare it. Did you catch that? Everything you say to me, I'm gonna declare it with my lips as well. So one of the ways we abide in God's word is by declaring it to others. Not only that, we, we meditate on it. What does it mean to meditate on the word of God? It means to, to think of the scriptures, to maybe read a verse of scripture, and rather than just moving on, sitting in that and just thinking on it. What does this show me about God? God, show me yourself in this verse of scripture. And just sitting there and waiting, thinking on it. Not only that, we delight in it. I love this idea of delight. This idea of delight is more powerful than the Bible just makes me happy. It's a willful choice to find joy in something. So as I open the word of God, I don't do it out of routine or out of some kind of duty, but I choose to delight in it. I choose to enjoy it. I I choose to see goodness in it. I delight in the word of God. I fix my eyes upon it. But all this really kind of stems from this one phrase that we find in verse 10. The psalmist is saying, I do all these things. I guard it. I hide it. I declare it. I meditate on it. I delight in it. I fix my eyes on it. Verse 10 says, with my whole heart, I seek you. See, this is what Jesus is getting at when he's talking with the Jews. You search the scriptures looking for salvation, but the problem is you're, you're searching the scriptures, you're not looking for me. See, we don't just read the Bible to know more about the Bible. We, we open the word of God to find God. We open the scriptures to see Jesus, and in seeing Jesus and believing in Jesus, that leads us to salvation. This is what the psalmist is saying. It's not enough just to declare the word of God or to meditate on it or to delight in it or to hide it, but we have to do these things with our whole heart. See, that's what it means to abide in the word of God. We sit in it, we stay in it, and not just for a moment, but for a while, for a long duration of time. You know, many of you will share with me that hey, I was reading the Bible and, and God showed me something that I'd never seen before or maybe in a sermon, I'd heard that passage of scripture a hundred times, but today God showed me something new. You know what's happening? Is you're abiding in it. Rather than saying, you know what, I've already read that, I can check out today, today or you know, Pastor Jason's preaching a verse of scripture, I've heard him preach it, I've, I've heard it before. Rather than checking out, you're abiding in it. You're continuing to sit in it and allow it to, to speak to you and then God reveals something deeper to you, something new to you from his word. You see something about God that you didn't previously see. How does that happen? What happens when we abide in God's word? Well, today as we wrap up, I wanna leave you with a few questions for reflection and for discussion. The first one is this. With the word abide, meaning to live in a place for a long period of time, what does Jesus mean when he says that the Bible should abide in us? We just talked about it. I want you to think about that. Not, 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 not just what does that mean generally, but what does that mean in your life for the word of God to abide in you? The second question is this. 
How does the Bible lead us to know God's love? We just talked about how you can search the scriptures and completely miss Jesus. So how does the Bible lead us to know God's love? And then this third question for you to reflect on and maybe even discuss with those you're with now. How can you deepen your relationship with Jesus through the Bible this week? How can you abide in God's word this week? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for God opening up our eyes to see something today. God, more than just words on a page, we see the Bible as this beautiful witness and testimony that point us to Jesus. That God, all the scriptures are given to us, these prophecies, these words that were, that were spoken through the prophets, carried along by the Holy Spirit, so that, God, we could find Jesus. God, let us be a people that open your word more consistently, that stay in it and sit in it for longer periods of time. God, not that we could become Bible scholars, but that we could see Jesus more clearly. So God, now as you've opened our eyes to see today, as you've spoken to each of us, I pray now your Holy Spirit would guide us as we respond. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.